Let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism about the Ascension, Lord's Day 18. What do you confess when you say he ascended into heaven? That Christ, before the eyes of his disciples, was taken up from the earth into heaven, and that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Is Christ then not with us until the end of the world, as he has promised us? Christ is true man and true God. With respect to his human nature, he is no longer on earth. But with, respect, but with respect to his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. But are the two natures in Christ not separated from each other, if his human nature is not present wherever his divinity is? Not at all, for his divinity has no limits and is present everywhere. So it must follow that his divinity is indeed beyond the human nature which he has taken on and nevertheless is within this human nature and remains personally united with it. How does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven before his Father. Second, we have our flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that he, our head, will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends us his spirit as a counter-pledge, by whose power we seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not the things that are on earth. After the sermon, we will sing from hymn 40, stanzas 1, 2, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, when we dealt with the resurrection the last time, there was only one question and answer devoted to that topic. However, now when it comes to the ascension, no less than four questions and answer are given. That is because at the time of the Reformation, there was some controversy, not about the ascension as such, but about Christ's presence on earth. The reformers argued with the Lutherans and the Roman Catholics about how Christ is present here on earth. And this has to do with the bodily presence of Christ in the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. In the past, we dealt with this controversy extensively and therefore, today we will concentrate especially on the last question and answer of this Lord's Day, question and answer 49. With that question and answer, we are reminded of the great benefits of the ascension. And that's also what I will preach to you about. I will preach to you about the wonderful benefits of Christ's ascension. These benefits, these benefits are that we have first Christ as our advocate, secondly, Christ's flesh as a sure pledge, and thirdly, Christ's spirit as a counter pledge. Question 49 asks, how does Christ's ascension into heaven benefit us? 
in the original Latin edition of the Heidelberg Catechism is not spoken about the benefit, but about the delight or the enjoyment that the ascension brings to the believer. It describes the ascension as something very joyful, delightful. And that is the beauty of our catechism. You can tell from the way the questions and answers are phrased by the young men who composed this catechism that they stood in awe of the great riches that God had given to them in the Bible. And they were absolutely delighted with what God had done for them and for all those who belong to God. And that delight is especially spoken about here in this Lord's Day in dealing with the ascension. It is wonderful to see the childlike faith of the composers. For this is a world full of cynics. To the unbeliever, the story of the ascension is a story meant only for children or for people who lived thousands of years ago. It cannot be expected of the mature man and woman of today that such a story be believed. For this is the space age after all. We know that as soon as you rise above the clouds, that then you need an oxygen mask. And if you want to go further, then you have to go right through the atmosphere. The only way to do that is inside a rocket. And even then you won't get very far. You may make it to the moon, but no man or woman has made it farther than that. And there are some stars which are billions of light years away. How then can a Christian believe that Christ without a space suit, without an oxygen mask, rises up into the air and bodily goes through the whole universe to reach heaven where God lives? Brothers and sisters, let us retain that childlike faith of the apostles and of the composers of the catechism and of the church of all ages. For who was it who rose into heaven? It was none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, as God, created the earth. He created the moon and the stars and he created the whole universe. And we know that everything is possible with him. And there is nothing that he cannot do except sin. And so we too stand in awe of him. He is the almighty God. We all know how the ascension of the Lord Jesus is described. It's a well-known story. It's described in simple terms in a way that we can understand. In Acts 1, we read about the fact that the Lord Jesus went for a walk with his disciples from Jerusalem to Bethany. And while they were walking to that place, the disciples asked him a question. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? He told them that it is not for them to know the time or the date the Father has set by his own authority, but that they will receive the Holy Spirit and that they will be witnesses in, Jer in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in all the ends of the earth. And after he said that, suddenly he was taken up from them. He rose into heaven. And he did so with his hands outstretched. 
His disciples could still see the marks of the nails in his hands as he rose upwards. The violence done to him by man ultimately did not harm him. He overcame the destructive power and the horror of human violence and of death. Christ came as a man of sorrows, and he leaves as a man of great joy, triumphantly. His task had been accomplished. Do you know what that task was that he accomplished, brothers and sisters? Do you know why he came to earth? Christ came for no other reason than to reunite heaven and earth. And you see, that is the great joy of the ascension. The first benefit of the ascension, the catechism says, that he is now our advocate in heaven. Do you know what an advocate does? He brings two parties together. He is a mediator. He speaks on your behalf. He has your interests in mind as he brings your and my case before our Father in heaven. That's something that Moses already did for the people of Israel. After they had sinned their horrible sin with the golden calf, Moses spoke to God on behalf of the people. The Lord was going to consume them in his anger. That's what he said. He was going to raise up for himself another people out of Moses. And then Moses speaks up and he says to the Lord God, don't do that. Give them another chance. Punish me instead. And then the Lord relented. What was Moses' interest? He wanted to bring the two parties together. And he had many reasons for wanting that. God is a God of peace. God is a God of reconciliation. And he had made many promises. He had made many promises to his people Israel. And he had led his people Israel out of Egypt for a reason. He wanted to have a people for himself with whom he could have a restored relationship. And that is why in the desert he gave them the law. And he established the tabernacle there. The tabernacle represented the presence of God himself. God could again dwell amongst his people. That is what he wanted to convey. He wanted to bring heaven and earth together. For that is what the situation was at the very beginning of creation. When God created, he created heaven and earth. And he created both at the same time. From the very beginning, there was a very close connection between heaven and earth. There was no great chasm that separated the two, as happened later. And that is why the Lord God could walk and talk with Adam and Eve, as one could walk and talk with one's friends. There were no barriers between them. There was nothing that spoiled God's creation. It was only after the fall into sin that that closeness was broken. Sin spoiled God's creation. It spoiled the connection between heaven and earth. And that relationship had to be restored. That's why Christ came to earth. It couldn't remain the way it was. 
else all of creation would be cut off from God. And God loved this creation too much for that to happen. First, he promised a redeemer who would bridge the gap between heaven and earth. And he showed signs of his coming. Think of Enoch and Elijah, who were both directly taken up to heaven. These men didn't do this in their own strength. They did not conquer death of their own power. No, God made this happen. And this could only happen because the Son of God would give life to man. God also came to earth himself. And he spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And he spoke to him on Mount Sinai. And God dwelt in the tabernacle and later in the temple. All these things were signs that God wanted to restore the relationship between heaven and earth. Ascension is the fulfillment of all those signs. The ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ was a wonderful, a most wonderful moment in the history of the redemption of God's people. You may say with the ascension, the catechism, or the chasm, sorry, the chasm between heaven and earth has not yet been bridged. For we still live on this sinful world. And God is still far away from us. We still feel that there is a great distance between God and us. For we are still in our sins and God is a holy God. How then is the relationship between heaven and earth restored? The key, brothers and sisters, is the word advocate. Moses interceded, and there have been intercessors since then, prophets of God who spoke on behalf of God's people so that God would remember his covenant and not unleash his fury on them. But look at who Christ is as our advocate. He is in the first place almighty God. And now God speaks on our behalf. But the most important thing for us to remember is that he speaks on our behalf also as a man. For he took his flesh with him into heaven. That's the second point. He redeemed the flesh of man. He was obedient to every letter of the law as a man. It is for that reason that now his words before the Father carry so much weight. As soon as Christ came into heaven, Satan was no longer allowed before the throne of God. He no longer had any business there, for the penalty had been paid. But you may say further, that is what happens in heaven right now. All is well between God and redeemed man in heaven. But what about now? What about here on earth? Well, Christ's work is of benefit not only for those who are in heaven, but also for us here on earth right now. He restored the relationship between those who belong to him here on earth and God the Father just before he left he promised his disciples that he would prepare a place for them in heaven. 
And he told them, as we read, that his father has many rooms. There will be a place for them. What a comfort for his disciples. But also, what a comfort for you and for me. But what guarantee do we have that this is actually going to take place? How do we know? Brothers and sisters, in the Bible, speak the witnesses to the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. His disciples saw him go into heaven. This is an established fact. We can read this in God's word. For the disciples wrote this all down when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were inspired by him to pass this on to the church of all ages and also to you and to me. And when they saw him rise into heaven, what did they see? They saw the bodily ascent of the Lord Jesus Christ. They saw it with their own eyes. And they passed that on to us in the pages of the Bible so that we too may believe. They saw him ascend bodily into heaven. And so now his flesh is in heaven as our guarantee. It's a guarantee for us. That's what the word pledge means. It is a guarantee for us of God's faithfulness. Just like a wedding ring is a guarantee of faithfulness. We all know what happens at weddings. At a particular point in the ceremony, the minister will ask for the rings from the ring bearer. And before he gives the ring to the groom to put on his bride's finger, he will ask him this question. Do you give this ring as a token of your constant faithfulness and abiding love? And then the groom will say yes. And then he will proceed to put the ring on his bride's finger. From here on in, the bride can always look at that ring to be reminded of the moment that her husband made that promise of faithfulness to her. Even though he may have to go away on trips at times or be separated from her for other reasons, she can always look at that ring and say and think to herself, I know that he loves me. I know that he wants to be with me. I know that he will always be faithful to me. He belongs to me. He made promises to me. And that ring represents his promises. And in this way, also our flesh reminds us of what we have in heaven. Christ's body is in heaven, the same flesh that you and I have. That is our pledge. That is our guarantee. For he became flesh for our sakes. He did so because of his great love for us. He went through hell, literally, so that he could redeem us and to claim us as his bride. How it cost him to be born in the flesh. For that, went, that, for that meant that he had to come to this sinful world and he had to suffer and he had to die. He had to shed his blood so that he could be victorious 
and ascend into heaven to be able to take his flesh with him. But now his flesh in heaven is his pledge to us that he also will take us up with him. That's wonderful, isn't it? Do you know what's even more wonderful, brothers and sisters? Do you know what the greatest benefit is of Christ being bodily in heaven right now? That is that Christ prays for you and me all the time in the flesh. And he knows how badly we need his prayers. At one point, Christ said to Peter, after Peter rebuked the Lord Jesus for saying that he would suffer and die and be raised again on the third day, he said to him, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Matthew 16, verse 23. The Lord Jesus knew about the power of Satan. He saw Satan at work even in Peter, even in Peter, whom he only a few moments before, he had praised for his wonderful confession. He had told him that on that confession he would build his church. He knew that Peter, Peter would not be able to stand if it were not for his prayers. And that's why he also said to him, as we know from Luke 22, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan, has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Oh, how Peter needed those prayers of the Lord Jesus, and how we all need the prayers of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ every moment of each day. For Satan also wants to sift you and me. Satan is out to destroy each and every one of us. He is out to demolish your life, to shatter your hopes, and to leave you in utter despair. He is out to have you deny your faith. He wants you to walk away from God. He wants you to walk away from God's people. He wants you to walk away from his church. And he never gives up trying to divide and conquer. That is why we have Christ in heaven, his flesh in heaven. His flesh is the great sign to us that he is more than interested in our affairs, in us. He is there not only as God, but as a man. And as a man who walked here on earth, he knows the kinds of temptations that we have to withstand every day. He knows how sin is always couching at the door, as it says in Genesis 6, to make us go against his commandments. He knows the kinds of pains and sorrows and injustices that we have to endure here on earth. He has experienced in his own flesh the kinds of things that go on here on this earth. He has felt the great power of evil. Satan tempted him in the desert like he never tempted anyone before. He tempted him all the time while he was on earth. Satan did everything in his power to get Christ not to accomplish his mission on earth. 
Christ withstood him. And now he is victoriously in heaven. Beloved congregation, there is not a moment that he does not pray for you and for me. That is his greatest task in heaven. It is in this way that he continually keeps the lines of communication open between him and us. And in this way, the connection between heaven and earth through the work of his advocacy is constantly being restored. And that will continue to happen until the final day. And that is what answer 46 refers to, where it says that he is there for our benefit until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. And that is a reference to the final day of that judgment, when heaven and earth will be one once again. And then there will no longer be any chasm between heaven and earth. And that is also what the Lord Jesus referred to in John 14 when he said that he will come back and take you to be with him so that you may be where he is. However, we need more than Christ's prayers. We also need his spiritual presence. And that's why he also sends his spirit as a counter pledge. We come to the third point. Before he ascended into heaven, Christ promised his spirit. He told his disciples that they would not be left alone. They were grieving when they were told that he would soon go away. They didn't understand where he was going. They needed the Holy Spirit in order to be able to understand that. It is only through the Holy Spirit that you can understand spiritual things. Only later did they understand. And then they remembered the words of the Lord Jesus. Then they realized the riches and the wonderful content of those words and how beautifully the catechism summarizes the benefits of the ascension. It speaks there as, of the Holy Spirit as a counter-pledge. The first pledge is Christ's flesh. That is also our flesh. We have that in common with him. Christ has his flesh with him in heaven. But now he also sends us something else. He sends us his spirit, his Holy Spirit. Through the gift of his spirit, the unity between heaven and earth are made final and complete, restored. At a wedding, it is not enough that the groom gives the ring to his bride. The bride must also give a ring to her husband. That is the counter pledge. You give me a ring, as a token of your faithfulness, and I will do the same. Those rings, those pledges, speak of the unity between husband and wife. And now the same thing is true between God and us. Our flesh and God's spirit are united God sent his spirit at the time of Pentecost. And now God's spirit may dwell in our hearts, in our bodies. We may be temples of the Holy Spirit. We are united with God. We are his children. How wonderful. How great it is to hear that message of reconciliation between God and us in spite of our sins. Did you notice, brothers and sisters, the wonderful way 
in which the composers of the Catechism finished this Lord's Day. Their enthusiasm and great thankfulness for what God has done shows especially in the last part. They show how in tune they are with God's word. They state that by the power of God's spirit, we now seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not the things on earth. They echo the words of Colossians 3, the verses 1 through 4. How can you not seek those things that are above now that you also know the great benefits of the ascension? Christ is in heaven for you, constantly praying for you to make room for you. He has prepared a place for you. And there are many rooms in our Father's house. And he has done everything to redeem you and to rescue you from this fallen and sinful world full of misery and disappointment. And do you not want to hang on to what you have here on this earth? Do you not now in everything you do and say, seek what you have in heaven? There in heaven is your flesh. There in heaven is your hope. There in heaven is eternal bliss. And at the last day, heaven and earth will be totally reunited. The most beautiful picture is given of that in Revelation 21 and 22. And there you have a description of the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Human words cannot even describe the beauty. And please do not think that with these words of the Heidelberg Catechism to seek the things that are above that now we are given an admonishment to get low, to let go of earthly things, as if our lives now have little or no meaning. That's not what is meant. What is meant is this. While you live here on earth, even though God gives you many, many things to enjoy, please remember that that enjoyment is nothing compared to the enjoyment that you will receive in the life hereafter. Remember what Christ has done and what place he has prepared for you in heaven. Do not be attached to these earthly things. Do not be disappointed when your life here on earth does not turn out the way you expected. Do not become depressed when you lose something here on earth which is very dear to you. Remember where your treasure is. That was Christ's message all the time while he was on earth. He reminded them of their father in heaven who is a merciful father. And now Christ is there seated at the right hand of the father. And he is praying for you and for me that you will persevere here on this earth, that you do not walk away from him. And with his spirit, you can and you will persevere. His spirit is given to you as a pledge, a counter pledge, a guarantee that he will always love you as his child, that he will always be with you. He guarantees it with his flesh and spirit. Amen.